Good morning, good morning, Cathedral. Is anybody ready to praise the Lord in this place? Is anybody ready to praise the Lord in this place? I just want to make mention that right now at the other side of the campus, we have our youth service going on. If you are between 11 and 18 years old, you are very welcome to come to the other side of the campus. You are going to love it. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, it says, At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Let me say that again. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Now, if you're a little bit like me, I know how I used to be. I used to be messed up. I could not be trusted. I was depressed until Jesus came into my life and he gave me new purpose. He gave me new direction. Is there anybody like that here? You are grateful for what Jesus has done in your life. If that is you, can somebody make some noise right now? Are you ready to praise the Lord? Are you ready to give Him glory? Let's go church and let's give Him all the praise. Let's have an awesome service. Yes, come on church. Let's continue to clap those hands for Jesus. Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise Him in this house. Come on, put your hands together for Him. He's good. Amen.
shout of praise in this building. If he's ever done anything in your life worth giving him a shout for, come on, just for five more seconds, let's lift up the name, the name that is above every name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. God is good and all the time. Father God, we just thank you for this moment together. Lord, we acknowledge your presence in this place. We remind ourselves that we're not just singing about you, we're singing to you. You're watching, you're listening, and you are pleased by what you see and hear. As the psalmist prays, Lord, create in me a clean heart in this moment, and a renew within me a right spirit, that I might praise you in this moment. So God, we pray your blessing over every individual here. Lord, I pray that as they sing and as they lift up the praises of their God, Lord, that their eyes would be open to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God, I pray that you would bless and shower down blessings over your people, that you would not just allow them to have just good moments here in the house of God, but Lord, as they go to their homes, Lord, that they would carry you with them everywhere they go, to their work, to their schools, to their places of responsibility. Lord, I pray that the goodness of the Lord, that they would also realize that, as the scripture says, that goodness and mercy is following us wherever we go. We can't escape, where can we go to escape the presence of God? You're there with us at work. You're there with us at school. You're there with us on the freeways. You're there with us in the hospitals. Everywhere we go, you are with us, God. The goodness of God is all around, and we celebrate that in the mighty name of Jesus. All of God's people said amen and amen. One more time, put your hands together and applaud the goodness of the Lord in this moment. We love you, Lord. Yes, we love you, God.
Hallelujah, indeed. Our God, He's so good. As we get ready for communion, if you need elements, put your hands up and our ushers will be there to serve you. And as we take our place at the Lord's table, it's a place where we meet Jesus face to face, the Son of God. And it's a place where Jesus, well, he creates one-on-one -on -one time for you and me and to remind us of who he is in your life and the fullness of life that you can have if you say yes to him. So he gives us this bread, which is his body, and it would be broken for us. And it reminds us, it reminds us that in whatever work that you do in this broken world, if you do it as unto the Lord, well, He, He will crown your efforts with success. So let's eat of the body of Christ together. In the same way, He takes the cup. And this is the cup of his sacrifice, a sacrifice that would lead to forgiveness for all sins. And it's a covenant that if you put Jesus first in all things, then he'll make every crooked path straight and then give you resurrection power so that you can and you will succeed. So let's drink of the promise of Christ together. And let's seal our time of communion now by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, Cathedral Faith, in your worship. Well, good morning, Cathedral Faith. Isn't it a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord? Want to give you a great big welcome. Welcome to all those folks inside, outside of the beautiful amphitheater out in our parking lot. We're so glad you're here today. And if you're new to Cathedral Faith, I'd like to invite you right after service, come back out to the amphitheater or hospitality tent and come meet some of our team. We want to help you grow and get connected here at Cathedral. And our prayers before you leave today, we want to know that how much God really loves you. And of course, make yourself at home because you are in your father's house. Well, you can go ahead and be seated if you're not already. But hey, how many Giants fans do we have in the house? If you're a Giants fan, it's a great day to be here on Sunday because we have our good friend, former uh, San Francisco Giant hero, Travis Ishikawa in the house. We're going to be reliving his 2014 home run that sent the Giants into the World Series and hear about what God is doing in Travis's life. Well, a lot of exciting things happening here at Cathedral, especially God continues to open new doors to help us share what God is doing through this church family. Just recently, we got contacted by the producers of a TV documentary show called uh, Viewpoint. Viewpoint features different organizations on how they're serving the community. And they heard about Cathedral Faith and are reaching out. And they're going to be doing a segment, a four to five minute documentary on our reaching out, uh, ministry, and how it's serving our city. And the show's host is actor Dennis Quaid. He'll be part of the, the show, and it will be featured on public broadcast stations around the nation, reaching about 60 million households. Additionally, they're going to be putting together a 60-second commercial about reaching out and emailing it to 1 million people in our community, as well as producing a commercial that will be seen 50 times in prime time on a network television station this fall. So we're excited about what God is doing because here at Cathedral Faith, we know the good news of Jesus Christ is just too good to keep to ourselves. Amen? And I'm so thankful for this church family, how you love people, because that's what the message of the gospel is all about. Many times I'd hear my dad say this, you can, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And this is how God demonstrates us, that God loves you, and God loves me so much that he gave. And he gave us his very best, his one and only son, so we could experience his best. How many are grateful for how God has loved us just as we are, amen? So one of the ways we worship the Lord is by giving him our time, our talents, and our resources. It's the way, God, we worship you. You, are, you have first place in our life. So thank you to all the church family for your faithfulness. There's easy ways for you to give. You can give, of course, online through the Cathedral of Faith app. You can give on your way out uh, to one of the ushers uh, on your way out today. So thank you so much for how you are loving our community. 
Well, let's continue to believe that God's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Let's continue the word that Pastor Ken has as we are a cathedral at the movies. You're a man who found faith a little bit later in life. Did you have a watershed? Was there one moment where you sort of went, I got to get my stuff together, man? I had a few moments, but certainly I seeing the disappointment in my parents' eyes when I got into trouble. You know, when my mom didn't have a car, didn't have any money, would have to come and get me or bail me out. Um, those were moments that really, you know, uh, opened my eyes and, and said, you know, I have to turn my life around. And as soon as I turned my life around and started focusing on my faith, and I know I've said this in the past, great things started to happen. So I really wanted to make this movie to then take time off the talents and gifts that I've been given and all the success that I've had to use that platform to do uh, God's work. Amen. Welcome to Cathedral at the Movies. It's great to see everybody. God is good and all the time. Thanks so much for being here, whether you're on site in the building or out in the amphitheater or in the parking lot or whether you're part of our online community. I'm so grateful that you're here to worship with us today as we continue this series. And I especially want to give a shout out to a couple. They were founding members of the Cathedral of Faith back in 1965. And they're celebrating their 67-year wedding anniversary. Can we give it up to Mr. and Mrs. Hinman? And I have a surprise for you. It's a surprise guest. Would you give a great big cathedral welcome to actor Mark Wahlberg? Mark. It's the closest I could get for this week. But actually, I'm more excited to talk to Travis at the end of the sermon. Mark will be out in the lobby if you'd like to take your picture with him afterwards. <laughs> so all this month, we've been looking at some of the films that have come out this year, themes in those films, and what the Bible has to say about those themes. And today I want to talk to you for the next few moments about a film that was based on a true story. The film is called Father Stew. It's about a young man, Stuart Long, who is played by Mark Wahlberg. And Stuart is an amateur boxer, but his doctor tells him that he's had his bell rung too often that he can't box anymore. He has to do something else. So what he does is he moves from Montana to Hollywood because he wants to become an actor. And while he is working at a grocery store to pay the bills, he meets a young lady. It always starts with a young lady. And after that, well, he wants to go out with her, but she'll only go out with him if he comes to church. And guess what? He ends up in church. Now, that's not the best reason to go to church, but at least he's in church. And my dad used to say, if you get close to the river, well, who knows? After a while, you, must, you may just fall in. And that's what happens. He falls into the river. He turns his life over to Christ. And 
then he feels like God is calling him to serve in the priesthood. Now, the girlfriend thought that they would get married. And now he's saying he wants to be a priest. Do you think she was still happy she brought him to church? (laughs) Anyway, he signs up for seminary. While he's there, he ends up contracting uh, severe muscular disease, very rare. But he doesn't let that stop him. He finishes his education. He becomes a priest, goes and serves his local parish until he passes away at the age of 50. Here you can see a picture of the actual Stuart Long. Now, if you, it's a very inspiring story. It really is. But I want to warn you, if you decide to go see it, it's not a kid's movie. It's rated R. And it's rated R because there's very coarse language. Before Stuart uh, came to Christ, he was very rough around the edges. But I was reminded of a truth recently. Uh, Family inside the church, they have property, and they invited graciously my grandsons and I to go to the property, and they have a little pond on the property. And so we went fishing. Now, normally when I go fishing, I go fishing, but I don't do any catching. But I believe in miracles. Because this time we went fishing and we caught fish. Can you see a picture up here? You're looking at a miracle, folks. We actually caught fish. But this reminded me of a basic truth. And the basic truth is this. You have to catch the fish before you clean them. Now, let me say that again. You have to catch the fish before you can clean them. Exactly. The same thing is true when it comes to people. Don't expect people to act like followers of Jesus before they become followers of Jesus. But once Jesus catches them and then starts to clean them, That's what happens to Stuart. Jesus catches him, and then he cleans them, and then he calls him, and he gives him a vocation. And that's the word I want you to think about. I want you to think about vocation. I want you to think about your calling. Wait a second, time out, Ken. I mean, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a pastor. I don't work at a local church. What do you mean calling? I'm a carpenter. I work all day at a construction site, pounding nails. That's what I do. Well, I invite you this morning to have a paradigm shift, to take the work that you do and offer it to God. In fact, there's a passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and I want to read that to you in the message paraphrase of that passage. The Apostle Paul writes, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Going to work. Would you say that with me? Going to work. What if we brought that to God as an offering. And he gave it back to us in the sense of a calling. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for this wonderful group of people who have created space to come and meet your grace in this moment. And I pray, God, that we would each hear the one thing we need to hear. Holy Spirit, take your word, apply it to our lives so that this week we can be transformed. Life can be different because we've met you in this moment. Start with me. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory, we pray this. And all God's people said, amen. Can we give God praise? Amen. Hallelujah. You're going to work live, whether it's work as a volunteer or the work you do at home or the work you do at the office. Think with me about living with a sense of purpose. I saw this one lady who was getting ready to go to work, and you can see what she needed a big cup of coffee, getting ready for work like. Now, it's interesting. In other ancient creation accounts, work from the very beginning was viewed as a bad thing. You may remember the story of Pandora and her box, that the gods give Pandora a a box. Now, Pandora is not supposed to open it, But guess what happens? She opens it anyway. And when she does, all of the evils are released into the world. And one of those evils is called work. From the very beginning. And then you come to the Bible. And you find this, well, different presentation. That there is God at work in the world... And he creates human beings in his image. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read some of this last week. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. There's God getting his hands dirty. And the man became a living person. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work the ground and to care for it, to work. Say that with me, to work. Say it one more time, to work. In the very first paradise, you find work. What? When I think of paradise, I don't think of work. You know, I think of, well, being on an island, Hanging out in the hammock, the only thing I'm working on is working on my tan. Something like this right up here. You know how I'm a dog person. When I think of paradise, that's what I think of. And yet, the Bible says in the very first paradise, God's good creation included work. It was in God's design for human beings. But then, of course, something very bad happened. The fall of man affected everything, including work. A little later on in Genesis chapter 3, this is what we read about the impact on work from sin. That the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. Now work is very much a mixed bag. And we have all felt, all of us have felt, 
the effect of the curse on our work. I saw one sign that read, notice, you don't have to be crazy to work here. We will train you. <laughs> and we all know how work can make us crazy. I, I received a note from a member of our cathedral family. This is a while back, and he, he talked about this struggle with his work. He said, as I get older, work is becoming my greatest faith challenge. I find myself stressing too much about work and being able to survive in the competitive market where there's cheaper, more technical labor waiting to take one's place. The Bay Area is very liberal and even having a biblical view, point of life can cost you a job. When it comes to our work, paradise was indeed lost and maybe that's where you're at today. You're feeling the effect of the curse, the thorns and the thistles and the sweat on your brow. It's stressful, it's painful, and it's hard. But thanks be to God, when Jesus came to this earth, he came to reverse the curse. Can somebody say amen to that? Jesus came to reverse the curse, to reverse the curse on our work. And every time he went to work for most of his life, Jesus was a blue-collar worker. He was a carpenter. And every time he pounded nails, not only did he take the nails for us, but every time he pounded those nails, he pounded them for us as a reminder that Satan will not have the last word on our work. Jesus will have the last word on our work. Amen. And when he went to the cross and he took those thorns on his head, he went to the cross to reverse the curse. And now we see him at work in this way. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says this, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not just those who were lost, but that, everything that was lost in the fall, Jesus came to reverse the curse and to get it back, including our work, amen. So what would that mean for us? Well, perhaps it would mean looking at our work a little differently. Instead of seeing it as secular work, seeing it as sacred work. When you go into the office, I mean, during the pandemic, we, had, we were on Zoom a lot. And I found this one guy who was on Zoom, and see if you can identify with him right up here. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift it, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. Pardon me. My apologies. <laughs> What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. 
North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely. <laughs> Anybody identify with that? Well, what if you, whether it's the, the work you do at the home office or at the corporate office, what if we viewed it a little bit differently? There was a man by the name of Martin Luther, and Martin Luther was, uh, he was a spiritual leader that lived several hundred years ago. And the work that he did not only changed the church, but it really changed history. And he led a movement called the Reformation. And one of the things he came to reform was our vision of work. Back in that day, there was a big, thick line that separated the sacred from the secular that if you were a part of the clergy, then the work that you did was sacred. But if you were a farmer, the work that you did was secular. And then Martin Luther shows up and he says, no, we need to get rid of that line because all work that's done in faith before God can be sacred. In fact, Martin Luther put it this way. He said, the works of monks and priests do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone, by faith alone. That somehow when I do what I do in faith before God, even if I'm not a pastor, I heard about one pastor who, who died and went to heaven and was waiting to receive his reward. And in front of him in the line was a taxi driver. And St. Peter says to the taxi driver, here are the keys. And the taxi driver has a 10,000 square foot mansion that is his. Well, at this point, the pastor is so excited. He's pumped. He's thinking, man, if the taxi driver got that, I can't wait to see my reward. St. Peter gives him the keys to a 300 square foot studio apartment. And now the pastor can't figure it out. And so he says to St. Peter, I don't understand. He said, he got a 10,000 square foot mansion. I'm a pastor and I got a 300 square foot studio. What's up with that? And St. Peter said, well... When you preached, people slept. But when he drove, people prayed. <laughs> so he had a better outcome, right? What if we got rid of this line? And the faith that we, the work that we offered to God in faith was sacred. I was talking with Pastor John Mendez recently. He heads up our Spanish campuses at Cathedral of Faith, and he was giving me a praise report. Today, they are baptizing 22 people, new believers who have come to Christ. Can we give God praise for that? Amen. And then he shared with me something else. He said that in the past four years, from those three campuses, there have been 38 businesses started by people in those three campuses. 
that the campuses have become a startup machine. The Holy Spirit is stirring up dreams and giving birth to entrepreneurs all over the valley. Can we give God praise for that? Amen. <clears throat> and I was thinking as I was writing the message, wow. What if we looked at those businesses as sacred? I know that church plants and campus plants are sacred, but what if these businesses, businesses that are formed with biblical values, businesses that help others to feed their families, you know, businesses that bless the community with the service they provide, Businesses that are light and salt in the industry that they're in. Businesses that are there to make a profit. Uh, the name for a business who doesn't make a profit, you know what that name is? It's called out of business. <laughs> so they're there to make a profit, but it's not just about profit. They're there ultimately to bring honor and to glorify God through their business. That sure sounds sacred to me. There's a man in the Bible who's sort of under the radar. You read about him in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 31. His name is called Bezalo. And this is how the Bible describes him. It's fascinating to me. God says to Moses about this man, I have filled him with the spirit of God giving him skill and know-how and expertise in every kind of craft to create designs and work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set gemstones, to carve wood. He's an all-around craftsman Amen. filled with the Spirit of God, good at his craft. That sure sounds sacred to me. Another leader was describing uh, an event that happened when he was on an airplane. The plane was delayed and, and people were getting antsy and irritated and they started taking it out on the flight attendant. But the, the leader watched this flight attendant keep her poise and her grace, even with all the sniping going on. And so afterwards, he told her, he said, you know, I was so impressed uh, by the way you handled the situation that I want to write an offer, I want to write a letter to the airline telling them about what a good job you did. And she said to the leader, I don't work for the airline. I work for Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that something? And then she went on to say, I prayed this morning with my husband that I would be able to serve Jesus Christ at my job. And that is what I was doing. That sure sounds sacred to me. The Bible says this in Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever work you do, would you say that with me? Whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord and not for men. The work that I do can be sacred. And that brings us finally to this idea of Holy Spirit job crafting. Holy Spirit job crafting. There were some researchers from the University of Michigan and Yale that decided to study uh, people who were in what are known as unglamorous jobs and to look at the ways they coped with their uh, 
with their often undervalued work. And specifically, they looked at people who cleaned hospitals, janitors of hospitals, and they found something that fascinated them. They found that there was a subset among the janitors that they didn't look at themselves as janitors of all, at all. They looked at themselves as part of the healing team of that hospital, that they were creating environments where healing could take place, and they would go above and beyond their job description and get to know some of the patients and provide practical help. They would get them a glass of water. They would say an encouraging word. You know, they may have been janitors, but they saw themselves as more than that, that they were a part of the healing team. And the researchers came up with a name for what those janitors did. They called it job crafting. And I invite you today to take the work that you do and do a little job crafting that the work you do is more, it's for more than just a paycheck. I mean, there is a paycheck involved, payday, payday. Can somebody say that with me? Payday. I saw this one lady, her hands were raised and she's thanking God. Wake up in the morning and realize it's payday. Can somebody say amen to that? Payday. And the Bible says, you know, when you work, that's one of the things that happens, that the one who stays on his job has food on the table. And so payday, it helps us to provide food on the table. It provides a roof over our heads. It provides a car in the garage. It helps you to send your kids to college or at least the first year of college <laughs> or at least the first class of college. Or it helps you to support your local church. Did I just hear my brother say amen to that? So a payday helps you do lots of good things. But what if you looked at it as more than a payday? But you did a little job crafting and you saw that God is at work in the world and you are working with him in the world and on the world. For example, let's say you're a landscaper or a house painter, or a beautician. If you're in those industries, God wants the world to be beautiful. And every day you go to work, you're at work with God to make the world more beautiful. Do you know how long it takes my stylist to get me looking this good? <laughs> or say for example, you work at a grocery store, or you're a cook, or you're, you're a waitress. God wants the world to be fed. And every day you go to work, you're at work with God to make sure the world gets fed. Amen. Or let's say you're a police officer, or a firefighter, or a soldier. God wants the world to be safe. And every time you go to work, you're at work with God to make the world safer. On and on, we could go around the room, do a little job crafting. And if you're a stay-at-home mom today, oh my. They say that the average person spends about 150,000 hours of their life working. But if you're a stay-at-home mom, you can double that. I love what 
another Christian leader by the name of Tony Campolo. There was a season in his life where his wife was a stay-at-home mom, and when they would go to dinner parties, inevitably the question would come up, and what do you do? And here's how she'd reply. She would say, I'm socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. (laughs) And then she would ask, and what do you do? (laughs) You know what Martin Luther would say about all the jobs we do, that they are the masks of God. How does God work in the world? One of his main ways is he works through us in the world and on the world. Can you do a little job crafting today? Martin Luther King said this. He was named after Martin Luther. And Martin Luther King said this. All labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and importance and should be undertaken with painstaking excellence. And I want to introduce to you someone who does his job with painstaking excellence. My wife and I have had the joy of hosting him this summer while he's coaching for the team here in San Jose. But before he comes out, let's go back to a moment eight years ago and see if you remember this. Travis Ishikawa hits one. Win the pennant! We sat with you yesterday, and you told us you almost quit this game. You were almost done. You said you talked to your buddy on the phone and said, What do I need to do? I'm doing everything. Just blew a kiss, I'm assuming, to your family. Put this moment in words. Oh, I'm just so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ let me stay, gave me the perseverance to continue playing. And I just thank this organization, best organization I ever played for, for giving me this opportunity, this chance, to throw me in the outfield and never play there. And I just, it's such a great feeling right now. I just, I can't even describe it. And the Giants are going back to the World Series for the third time in the last five years. What a great moment that was. And I I want you to, if you would, I want you to stand with me. And I want us to welcome back home to Cathedral of Faith. Would you welcome Travis Ishikawa? Travis. Amen. Oh, you can be seated. Travis, it's so great to have you back in San Jose for this season. And what a joy it's been to have you at our house. It's been great. You've been spoiling me way too much. <laughs> oh, we've had, a, we've had a good time this summer. And um, Travis, before we jump into a couple of other kinds of questions, specifically around this whole idea of the work we do is sacred, um, Tell us about that moment. What, what do you remember about that moment when you hit that home run? Um, I remember in great detail being on deck. You know, belt was up, 
walked on four straight pitches. You know, I kind of had the same routine. I'd timing up the pitcher, trying to get in sync with what he was trying to do. Um, but I happened to notice down in the bullpen, they had a left-hander warming up. And when left-handers came into the game, Bochy usually pulled me from the game, brought in a pinch hitter. And so kind of in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, my night might be done here, but I need to stay focused and locked in. Just you never know. And uh, Michael Waka, I knew that he threw hard, you know, 95, 97 mile an hour fastball is a really good changeup. Um, I'd never faced him before. And so um, when Belt walked, I started walking up to the plate go into the box, do the same routine I'd been doing since I was 11 years old, and uh, just knowing that the Cardinals have always really tried to throw hard fastballs in, so I needed to make sure I didn't chase in. I got a good pitch to hit, and uh, I saw the catcher get up to go to the mound, so my thought was, okay, they're bringing, you know, Matheny's coming out, going to pull the pitcher, my night's done, and I happened to look up, and it's their pitching coach, and uh, so I knew that he was just going to talk to him, and I remember looking at my bat, and I remember just thinking, like, wow, I just have this calm and this peace to me right now. And I, in those moments, that never happened. There was always the heart rate that was kind of going, the heavy breathing, maybe a little leg shaking. And uh, I didn't feel that. I just kind of had a peace. And I just reminded myself to stick to my plan. Um, you know, got to be short to the ball. Just get the barrel on the ball. And, and um, of course, first pitch, they buzzed me in. I was able to take. Second pitch, they buzzed me in. I was able to take. Um, get to the 2-0 count. And... You know, not realizing that he had thrown six straight balls. Typically, you don't want to, you get a take sign because the manager doesn't want you swinging a pitch that you can't hit very hard. You end up chasing, you get the pitcher back into the count, you give him confidence, and then who knows what happens from there. So um, without thinking, I'm thinking I might be getting a take sign, but I look down at Tim Flanner, our third base coach, and he's given me the, like, if you get your pitch, take a swing. And so, again, just remind myself to be short, and I got the fastball. Um, I was thinking, you know, 2-0, he doesn't want to walk me because then the winning, winning run would be at third base with Crawford on deck. Um, so I'm going to get a strike. I'm going to get the fastball because that's typically a pitch that pitchers try to throw for strikes. Uh, it's their most, the best pitch, they, the best chance they have to throw a strike is usually with their fastball. So I was looking fastball. I got it middle, middle in. I took the short swing and uh, hit, hit the ball good, hit, hit it on the barrel. Uh, but it came off really low, and I was thinking, man, I hit it good. It's going right to the right fielder. Just missed it. I see the right fielder's back towards home plate, and it's not turning around. And to me, that tells me that ball's going over his head, and he's trying to run after it. And I get about halfway down the line, and I'm like, his back's still turned. Like, this is going over his head. I think we just won this game. And <laughs> you think, you know, this hand kind of went up, and... and uh, You know, like in so many movies, when the, this would be the slow motion montage, right, where everything's going. It, that's, to me, in real life, that's how I remember it. And I remember the ball slowly going up, and I could vividly hear the crowd just getting louder and louder. Like, they knew it was going over the fence before anybody else. And I remember thinking to myself, man, if this is a home run, that'd just be, that'd just be you know, icing on the cake. And, and this is going to be a great moment I'm going to remember forever. And, and it goes out, and I high-five Roberto Kelly at first. I hit first base, and then I go blank. And to this day, I still don't remember running the bases. I don't remember everything you saw there. I don't remember doing. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've probably seen that video 10, 15,000 times. So <laughs> I pieced it together. But the next thing I remember is being at home plate, being mobbed and jersey ripped off and, and the celebration. Oh, what a great moment. It brought so much joy you know, to the Bay Area.
I was at an event and they just stopped the event and announced what had happened. And it was, it just was an amazing moment. Now, Travis, you played for 15 years in the professional league. That's, that's a long career. Um, at the very, uh, you know, again, a very small percentage are able to even, you know, play for, uh, at that level and for that long. Uh, but as an athlete, you know, careers eventually end and now you're faced with this transition. And there may be people even now that are facing some kind of transition uh, from one career into the next season of life. How did God sort of lead you through that process? Yeah, so after the 2016 season, I'd finished up with the AAA team for the Giants in Sacramento and um, became a free agent. And just like I'd done probably you know, seven, eight times before, I knew I was going into the winter without a team and I was going to hopefully get signed with somebody and go to AAA and hopefully get back to the big leagues. And so I was doing my training and, and getting ready for the season, getting my body right, getting my mind right. And spring training shows up and I still hadn't gotten a phone call. And it's okay, we'll just keep working. Maybe an injury in spring training, someone will need somebody and get to the start of the season, still no phone call. You know, we get into the first part of the season, still no phone call. Before I know it, I blink and it's July and we're getting up to the all-star break. And you know, just from what I had seen in playing in years past, once you get kind of close to that, that mid-season, if, if teams are going to want somebody for their AAA, they're going to maybe give one of their younger prospects an opportunity to play. They're not going to just go sign an older guy that hasn't been playing for six months. So um, I kind of knew I wasn't going to be playing that year. Um, so I kind of mentally shut down my, my training. I, obviously, I took a little bit of time off. Uh, and got to experience my fourth, first 4th of July with the family and the barbecues and the fireworks and the good food and, and water balloon flights down in Arizona. And, and I was like, I enjoyed this probably a little too much than I wanted to. But, uh, you know, as we got kind of closer to that, that off season of 17, you know, and it was time to start my preparation again for hopefully getting a, a job for next spring, I thought to myself, well, if nobody wanted me in 17, who's going to want me in 18? I'll have a year not playing. So that's kind of where the dilemma started. I didn't know what I wanted to do. My heart and my, my mind still wanted to play baseball, but I think the body is what was keeping teams from wanting me to play. I was dealing with some back stuff. And um, so uh, not knowing exactly what I want to do, I'd been doing some Bible studies with some friends. They were all firefighters at our local fire station. So I did a couple ride-alongs with them. And I found out that a fire station is a lot like a baseball clubhouse. Those guys, you know, they get their job done, but at the same time, they like to have fun. They joke around, right? They're cooking meals together, and, and you know, they're in, they're, they're in the grind together, and, and it's just it's a cool chemistry camaraderie thing. And, and then we sat down after dinner with coffee, and they started telling me some of the stories of things they were going through. And I was like, man, I don't think I have a stomach to do this. So I thought fire, I knew firefighting wasn't going to be in the calling. And, and I remember playing thinking, you know, being away from home, being away from the family, you know, missing a lot of things from my kids uh, growing up. It's like, God, there's no way I'm ever going to coach professional. Maybe I'll coach high school or local college, but there's no way I'm ever going to coach professional. I don't want to be away from home. And, and it's, you know, you, you go and you dismiss that. And, and then, you know, God's got other plans for you. It's because at the end of the day, baseball is all I've ever wanted to do. Since I was six years old, I saw my first Mariner game. Baseball's all I've wanted, hmm. you know. Teacher's like, you need a backup plan. Well, no, because I'm going to be a baseball player. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't understand what a backup plan is when you're, all in. when you got a yeah. job playing baseball, you don't need to do anything else. So, um, you know, that's all I've ever wanted to do. And, and, you know, being just a student of the game and, and what I've been given from the game of baseball, I felt like 
not only was it my duty or my calling, but it's like almost an obligation too to, to give back to what, you know, what's been so good to me. And so um, thankfully I've kept some good contacts um, with the Giants and I made a couple calls and after a quick lunch interview, I was hired on to be the Giants hitting coach down in Arizona. That's fantastic, yeah. And you were down in Arizona uh, for a few years coaching and then you got promoted this year to coach, be the hitting coach for San Jose. And, um, you know, now you find yourself, yeah, it's great to have him back in San Jose. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was thinking about the role you have now as a mentor. You know, we have a, a, a saying here at Cathedral of Faith that a servant's heart is when you get excited about making other people successful. And that's really what your role is right now, is helping these younger players to become the best versions of themselves. And what you're able to do is bring the new technology that they may have grown up with, but you're combining it with the kind of values that are timeless that are going to help them succeed in the long haul. Can you talk a little bit about how you see that playing out? Yeah, so for anybody that's baseball fans that see the, you know, kind of played close attention to the game, and, you know, probably the last five, 10 years, it's changed a little bit where, um, you know, they talk about the three true outcomes, right? Hitting a home run, walking, or striking out. Um, basically saying you're trying to take your most powerful swing, you're trying to drive the ball to the fence, drive the ball to the park, and if they walk you or if they strike you out, so be it, but you're still trying to get the home run, hit a home run on every swing that you take. And, um, you know, again, the analytics that, that is in the data and the things like that, that I do believe are, is really brought baseball up a level and up a notch, um, I think can sometimes get lost in translation. I don't think that, to me, I don't believe that's the only way to do things. Um, call me old school, call me traditionalist, but I still find value in, um, you know, bunting runners over, hitting behind runners, hitting runs. Um, you know, almost sacrificing yourself for the better of the team. You know, doing the smaller things that, that if you watch, into, even in today's game, you know, with base running, with defense, pitching, you know, those little things are, end up being big things because those are the things that help teams win championship games. And, and when you can't do the smaller things that aren't as, you know, those are the things that aren't getting noticed on, on Instagram or on ESPN, those are the things that come back and kind of bite you when the hitting's not quite there, the pitching's not quite there. And so, you know, unfortunately, I have to say this, but you look at the Dodgers, right? They do those little things, and, and they've been a really good team for a lot of years now, and, and they go along with their good pitching and their good hitting. Um, so I still try to bring those values to these young kids. Um, you know, I'm dealing with anywhere from 19 to 22-year-olds. These guys haven't fully matured into their physical body yet, and so instead of telling them try to hit home runs on every swing, I'm trying to get them to swing at good pitches, hit the ball up the middle, and, and drive the ball low so when they do get stronger, those same balls will be going over the fence when they get a little bit older. Yeah, I, and I think, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, you're doing a great job too, Travis. I mean, and the platform that God's given you with those young people and how when you go to work, you know, you, you do what you do with excellence. And uh, I, again, I just want to thank you for, for being here today and just taking a little time to, to share with us. And now afterwards, there'll be a meet and greet uh, out in the lobby. And, uh, but thank you again. And we're just so grateful that you're part of our cathedral family. Can we give it up for Travis? Yeah, Travis. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Robert Butler's coming out to 
sing uh, really a prayer for all of us to join in with. But as he sings, you know, as I stand up here with Travis, if you would say, Pastor Ken, you know, I've, really, I've never really stepped across the line and become a follower of Jesus. You know, um, I know about Jesus, I've heard about Jesus, but every journey stops, starts with a step. And today you wanna to step across the line and declare that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Boy, the Bible says that all heaven is locked in on this moment. And if that's the decision you're making today, whether it's here on campus or whether it's online, would you just lift up your hand real high, just real high wherever you're at. God bless you. 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 God sees your heart and he sees your hand. And Father God, we just thank you. As Travis and I stand humbly today before you, along with all of our cathedral family, we know that all heaven is rejoicing in this moment. And God, we take that everyday life, a life at work, and we offer it to you today. And we pray, Jesus, that you would begin to reverse the curse and that we would be able to live out our sacred calling before you for your kingdom and for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you give a great big welcome to Robert Butler as he sings. Praise the Lord. I'm so honored to be here today. Thank you, God. God just wants you to do your very best. He's not looking for perfection, your very best. When I think of the times I've let you down, searching for happiness, none to be found. To think of the price you paid for me, was it in vain?
Everybody stand with me, please. Oh, God, we love you. We give you the best of our praise today. Amen. God is good. All the time. And all the time. Thanks again for coming today. Um, just a couple quick things before we dismiss you. You know, there's, there's food out in the amphitheater. If you want to go by, we got food trucks. Love to hang out with you out there. Also, Travis will be in the lobby right after service. So uh, feel free to go by, say hello. I think he's got his World Series rings with him. So uh, it's pretty cool to get a chance to see those. And then our prayer team, every week, they're out there in the amphitheater to pray with you and for you. You matter to God and you matter to us. And I've asked Bishop E.C. He's going to pray a commissioning prayer over us. But before he does, let me see. I thought I had. Yes, I do. I've got a courtesy pass, two tickets to go see the movies, man. So enjoy the film. Yeah, enjoy the movies. Amen. E.C., Bishop, pray for us. Let us pray. Almighty God, how grateful we are for your word today. We join our faith with our pastor, believing the best for every person here at Cathedral, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. And we send them out in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in every aspect of marketplace. Those who labor behind the cash registers, doctors, lawyers, nurses, firefighters, sportsmen and women, educators, parents at home, Every person who labors in every aspect of the marketplace, God, we pray your blessing upon them. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would use them to be an answer to somebody's prayer. Use us as your witnesses, oh God, as your representatives in the earth, as you build through us, as you work through us, as you grace through us. We give you the praise and the glory for the results in the name of Jesus, who is our Christ, and the people of God said amen. And amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to pile upon you. May God be gracious to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Beloved, you go with God because God goes with you. Have a great day.